0: Keep Psalm 30 open as we come to study it today. It's a psalm best summed up in the well-known words of verse 5, joy comes with the morning. Joy comes with the morning. Sometimes we're tempted to think that if only we didn't have the problems we have at the minute, then we would worship God, we would seek God. If we didn't have these particular problems, oh yes, I'd be, I'd be praising God all day long. I'd be memorizing whole chapters of the Bible at a time. I'd, I'd be inviting people to a Bible study or worship. But at the moment, I've just had my heart broken. Or life is just so busy. Or, or I'm, I'm just tired. Or I really just don't get much out of a worship service. All these problems are getting in the way otherwise... I would be lifting up my voice and praising God all the time. And where is God right now anyway? What, what is he doing? Why has he put these problems in my life in the first place? Maybe we don't come out and say it like that. But sometimes that's how we're really thinking. If I didn't have problems. Then I would have praise to give to God. Well Psalm 30 rebukes that notion. It describes a believer who has plenty of problems, but who is praising God in the midst of those problems. And so the two threads that are weaved around each other in this psalm are the threads of problems and praise. And I was almost going to entitle the sermon that this morning, but I think the words of verse 5 are a better title. But nonetheless, all through the psalm, these threads are weaved around each other of problems and praise. Problems and praise weave their way through the life of King David, the author of this psalm. Problems and praise weave their way through the life of King Jesus as well. The words of verse 5 really are the key words. Weeping may tarry or endure for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Perhaps the older King James Version sounds a little bit better. Joy cometh with the morning. Notice there, friends, even in that one verse, prayer, pr- praise and problems bound up together. That's the Christian life as it's described in the Psalms. Perhaps sleepless nights at times, perhaps times of tears and pain, but in the midst of it, joy and praise. And so we're going to think today about the believers' problems in this psalm and then also about the believers' praise as we find it in this psalm. So let's think first of all about the believers' problems. Uh, And David makes his problems very clear to us in this psalm. The first set of problems he faced was the problem of physical threats. Physical threats of various sorts and kinds. Look at verse 1. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. So we've said several times over the summer, he always... Worth remembering the amount of enemies that David had over the course of his life. David's life was in danger, not just in the years when he was on the run from Saul, but even when he became king, because he was always having to go out and fight battles. But not only was David threatened by enemies, he seems to have been threatened also at times by ill health. If you look at verse 2, O Lord my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored my life. Sheol in the Old Testament, um, there are different understandings of it, but uh, the, the mainstream reformed understanding of it is that it's, it's not hell. It's simply the grave. It's the end of life. It's, it's that moment of death. And so he's saying here that perhaps he was, he was staring death in the face, so to speak. He was perhaps on the verge of death. But God healed him. He, he restored his life. And quite possibly, even as David was writing this psalm, he experienced sickness. If you look at verse 8 To you, Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Now, it's worth remembering exactly who David was, friends. He was God's anointed king. He had had oil poured upon his head. He was set apart to rule over the nation. He was chosen by God to do that when he was just a boy. And yet despite being chosen by God, as early as that in his life, despite that great victory he enjoyed over Goliath when he was still only a young man, David still had to deal with these problems. Ten years on the run as King Saul tried to murder him. And then after that, as I mentioned, all those battles against foreign enemies. And even when he wasn't fighting against foreign enemies, David was sometimes fighting against domestic enemies. Enemies from amongst his own people. His favourite son, Absalom, led a rebellion and tried to murder him. That's what God's chosen king had to experience and live with. And I remind you of that, friends, because we can perhaps come to the Psalms and, and we think, well, what, you know, these are just, uh, perhaps we come and we just think these are just words on a page. They're, they're, they're words written out of experience, friends. They're words provided for us by God, the Holy Spirit, born out of the life of people who struggled. People who were on their knees, burdened down at times by threats and problems and challenges. David had to deal with life-threatening physical problems at times. But then, as well as the problem of physical threats, David also had to deal with a very different type of problem, and that was the problem of prosperity. The problem of prosperity. Look at verse 6. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. In other words, when I had everything the way I wanted it, I thought, I'll be, I'll be fine forever. I have, I have everything I need now. He said, by your favour, O Lord, you made my mountain stand tall. Stand strong, sorry. So David, despite all those problems, there were times where he enjoyed great success. During his reign, the borders of Israel expanded. They, they began to approach what they were supposed to be. In the days of Joshua, uh, you remember how God led the people finally over the border into the promised land in the days of Joshua and the land was allocated. And it took a long time for the borders of Israel to actually be what God said they should be because the Israelites were never quite able to drive their enemies off the land. But in David's day that began to happen and the borders expanded because he defeated their enemies and so Israel began, began to become prosperous in David's days. Their enemies were subdued. And of course, when you get your enemy's land, you, you get at least some of their wealth and their prosperity as well. And so that was added to the kingdom of Israel and David became a, a prosperous, wealthy, successful king. And what happens when you have a successful king? The people love him. Second Samuel chapter 3, approaching the the pinnacle of David's reign, it tells us in 2 Samuel 3:36, everything that the king did pleased all the people. 2 Samuel 5, verse 10 says, David became greater and greater, for the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. And that's why here in verse 6, David is reminding himself that it was God who gave him his wealth and his prosperity and his ease. He says in verse 6, By your favour, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. David had this mountain of prosperity and success. But what he's saying here in this psalm as well, friends, is there were times when he took that for granted. (coughs) Times when perhaps he became proud. He became self-confident. He became complacent. You remember where David was when he saw Bathsheba and ended up committing adultery with her. He was on the roof of his palace strolling around while his army was off fighting a war for him. David was taking it easy. And sometimes, friends, not always, I would hasten to add, but sometimes taking it easy can lead us into temptation. Temptation not saying we can never relax, of course we should. Today is a day of rest, hopefully uh, you get some rest from, from your ordinary work today. We've enjoyed some of us summer holiday time as well. We need those times of refreshment and rest. But sometimes, when we are complacent and prosperous, it can provide temptations all of its own. And David says in verse 6, he said in my prosperity I shall never be moved. He says at the end of verse 7, you hid your face. I was dismayed. When David grew proud and complacent, God had to discipline him. Prosperity became a problem for David. Charles Spurgeon commenting on this psalm said, no temptation is so bad as tranquility. No temptation is so bad as tranquility. Sometimes it's when you have nothing to worry about when life becomes easy the temptations to sin might come along and what a warning that is for us in particular living in this particular part of the world compared to the vast majority of the global population we are wealthy people perhaps you didn't wake up this morning thinking yourself to be particularly wealthy but the things that we take so much for granted running water no physical threat coming upon our, our home. Heat when we need it in the, in the weeks ahead. Plenty of clothing. Plenty of food. Those things make us wealthy people. And not only that but the church in our country enjoys far more freedom. As, as I've mentioned already today on the back of the bulletin. We enjoy so much more freedom than Christians in many other parts of the world. And friends when all those things are the case. That is when a temptation to ease and Self sufficiency and self reliance and complacency can creep in. Some people in our country have more time than they know what to do with. Young people can end up working part time while still living at home and just <coughs> losing, losing track of the years or taking it easy in those years of study away from home and get out, just letting time get wasted. Perhaps someone is able to take early retirement. They've, they've worked hard for many, many years. And it's a wonderful thing to be able to say, I can, I can stop that full-time work now. But if that's, if that's you, you need to think through how, how is all of that time going to be used? Productively, sacrificially for the kingdom of God, for the glory of God. Prosperity is a problem for people who get so distracted by life here and now. And all that it can give. That they don't think about the life to come. Jesus said it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's hard for people enjoying comfortable surroundings. To really see their need of repentance and forgiveness and salvation. And we see that don't we as we try to engage with people around about us. Here in this relatively wealthy part of the world. Some of you though, prosperity isn't the main problem in your life. It's some of the pains, perhaps the pains that David is alluding to in this psalm. David had enemies. We have enemies, Satan and his minions, who want to trip us up and lead us into temptation and distract us from our walk with the Lord. We are in a spiritual battle every day. Maybe there are particular temptations and sins that you're battling right now. Or maybe your pain isn't from enemies, it's, it's physical. As the years go on or, or an illness takes its toll. Maybe that pain at times is so frustrating that it's making you, perhaps even at times, doubt the goodness of God, question the plans of God. You're struggling to understand God's plan. Maybe you're left feeling, how can I praise God or pray to God right now with all these problems in front of me? Friends, this psalm shows us that that's exactly when we must praise God and seek God. Look again at verse 2. Oh Lord my God, I cried to you for help. In the moment of need, in the moment of pain, in the moment of frustration, he cried to God for help. If you look also at verse 7, when David's prosperity perhaps made him proud. Look what happened in verse 7. You hid your face, I was dismayed. So what did David do? He's rebuked about his complacency. God has hidden His face. What does David do? Verse eight: To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. And so, friends, whether it's pain that has discouraged you in your walk with the Lord, or whether it's prosperity that has distracted us in our walk with the Lord, the solution is the same: Cry to the Lord afresh, seek Him, call upon Him. Ask for his mercy afresh. Don't begin to allow those problems or that prosperity to just let you drift away from him. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the the morning. Problems are sometimes appointed by God to turn us back to him. Maybe repentance is needed. Maybe he is simply humbling us To realise afresh how much we need him. How much we we need to be offering up to him our prayers and petitions each day. Sometimes on on an hourly basis, never mind a daily basis. In the midst of problems, in the midst of prosperity. We can be people who still offer praise to God. So that brings us to the second strand through this psalm. The second thread that we want to, to follow Having thought about the believer's problems, we think also about the believer's praise. The believer's praise. And as I say, that's the, the other thread that makes its way through this psalm. There's a few aspects of David's praise to take note of here uh, as we consider it in Psalm 30. First of all, notice that the praise that David offers here is personal. It's personal. And time and time again, we see this in the psalms. They're, they're so personal. If you look at verse 2. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help. Notice that, my God. And if you run your eye over this psalm, uh, you'll see that in almost every verse, the name of God is used in block capitals the Lord, Yahweh, a personal name of God, the, the covenantal name of God, the name that people used who understood that He was a God of covenant grace. Friends, David is moved to cry out to God when He's in need. He's moved to praise God in the midst of his problems because he knows what kind of God he is. He knows him personally. He's meditated upon who he is. He's thought about who he is. He's seen the evidence of who he is. And so he offers personal praise to God. To really praise God, we need to know God. Hopefully all all of us here today we have people that we turn to in times of need because they know us. Uh, some people do uh, perhaps make known when they're, they're going through times of great difficulty. They put it out for public consumption nowadays on social media. Uh, more likely, perhaps most of us, we're more likely to turn to a much smaller group of people quietly who know us. Because a lot of people online don't know us at all. And so when we're in need, we turn to people that we know best. We know that they'll have a comforting word. We know that they have gone through what we're going through. We know that they love us. We know that they care for us. Friends, that being the case, there's no one that the believers should turn to before we turn to God himself. Sadly, people today do not know God and so are not turning to God. They don't know his sovereignty. They don't know about his goodness. They don't know about his patience. They don't know about his holiness. And so they do not turn to him in times of need. Do you know your God? Are you getting to know your God more? That begins, if if it hasn't ever begun in this way, it begins for you today with repentance of sin, trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, being able to declare, as we did with Psalm 32, I to the Lord have now confessed my sins. And if you confess your sins, the Bible tells us he is faithful and just to forgive you your sin. And to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And you can begin a walk with him knowing that the God of mercy and grace and patience that he is. And knowing that you can turn to him with your praise and with your problems in times of need. So David's praise is personal. His praise is also what you might call patient. It's patient. And what I mean by that is that David praises God in this psalm sometimes before his problems are even solved. So it's not a case that David is waiting for God to just allow everything to fall into place perfectly in his life and then David's going to go and praise God. That's the attitude that some people around us have today. They're sort of bitter toward God and they say, well you know, I'll take an interest in God when he, when he sorts this problem out in my life. David doesn't have that attitude. He says in verse four, sing, verse four, sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, but his favour, that's his love, his grace, is for a lifetime. So David says, yes, there have been times when perhaps I've been, I've felt God's anger, I've felt his discipline, his rebuke, Yes, there have been times where there have been problems that I wish could be solved. But he's continued to seek God nonetheless. He's been patient. And again, verse 5, weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. There's perspective to David here. He is not so consumed with his own wants or his own needs or his own problems that he can't think ahead to what's still to come. It's like in the middle of a a long tiring sleepless night you know that the dawn is coming I'm sure all of us have experienced sleepless nights for one reason or another maybe a big job interview the next day don't know if any of the men here had a sleepless night before they proposed um, maybe some of you a sleepless night because of little children keeping you up and as you toss and you turn or you rearrange your pillows you try not to think about the minutes ticking past but You can't sleep. Maybe it's not just that you haven't been able to sleep. But you have spent nights weeping. Over something that has become seemingly an all-consuming problem. Or pain in your life. Friends we offer praise to a God who knows about those things. Who has experienced those things in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ had sleepless nights. Jesus Christ had nights of weeping. Jesus Christ, even you remember, sweated blood as he prepared to go to the cross. What does he say to us? Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy cometh in the morning. Wait patiently, and as you wait patiently, continue to praise your God. We can trust him even when we might not understand what his purposes may be, we know that joy will come in the morning. And so the psalmist offers personal praise. He offers patient praise or praise with perspective. Thirdly, he offers public praise, public praise. And this is again is something of a trademark of David's psalms that no matter how intensely personal his situation may be and No, he does have very much a personal relationship with God. Nonetheless, the praise that he offers to God is praise that he wants all God's people together to offer to God. Stanza 4 again, or verse 4, sorry. Sing praises to the Lord. O you his saints, give thanks to his holy name. Most people today just think saints are those strange looking people on stained glass windows in church buildings. That's not what the Bible teaches Saints all through the Bible are all of God's people. The word just means set apart. So God's people are set apart from the world. We are different from the world. We have a different identity from the world. We are believers. We belong to Christ. And David wants all believers to be singing the words of this psalm. He wants all God's people to be giving God public praise. More glory goes to God. More respect and honour and attention is given to him when his people praise him publicly. If we know about the grace and patience and love that God has shown to us, we should naturally want to make it known. We do that by being here in the Lord's day. We do that by the attitude that we maintain even in the midst of life's challenges and problems. We do that with a commitment to public praise. Look at the joy David had in praising God. Verse 11. You have turned my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. That my glory. That means his whole being. His whole life. May sing your praise and not be silent. Does that describe you and I today? The people around us can see. Even if they don't understand what it is. The joy that we have. In knowing Christ and in praising God because of him. Some close friends of Hannah and I are going through a, a horrible time of trial at the moment. I have a, a little four-year-old son who has been diagnosed with a, a tumour on his liver. And on Tuesday we'll begin chemotherapy followed by surgery afterwards to hopefully remove this tumour But the message that this little boy's mother has been sending out to praying friends and family and the posts that she has been making about this speak of the peace and assurance and trust that they have in the Lord Jesus Christ. That their times are in his hands, that God is giving them strength to deal with this this nightmare situation. That's weeping, tarrying for the night, but joy coming in the morning. That's public praise of God in a situation that none of us would choose. But in a situation in which God is still at work, God is still sovereign, and God is bringing about his good purposes. You can pray for that little boy. I'll give you more details about it after the service rather than mention names publicly. But I encourage you to be in prayer uh, this Tuesday for our little friend. We should praise God publicly, friends, and not keep silent. And it's in those times of greater pain and problems and trial that our praise needs to be made, uh, that our witness needs to be maintained so that others would see the goodness and grace of our God in our lives. So the psalmist's praise is personal, it's, uh, it's, it's patient, it's public, and lastly it's permanent. It's permanent. Look at the very end of the psalm, the last line of verse 12. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever, forever. David makes this pledge that as long as he's alive, he'll be praising God, that no matter what problems he encounters, he'll be praising God. He actually goes as far as to say in verse 9, look what he says, What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? What he's saying is, God, if, if, I, if, if, I, if my life comes to an end, people won't be hearing from the king of Israel, about the goodness and grace of his God. We know, of course, that David had no fear of death. He speaks in the other Psalms of the assurance he had of where he was going to go when he died. But again, for David, the pit death, it it symbolizes separation from God and it's it's the silencing of David's public praise. And for whatever reason, at this moment in his life, David is pleading with God that that would not be the case. That he would have further opportunity to publicly praise his God. That he would keep on doing here and now what he hopes to do forever. Friends, just consider this. If an eternity of being with God and worshipping God, if that doesn't sound interesting or attractive to you this morning, I doubt very much whether you're a Christian at all. Because that's what heaven is about. The purpose and focus and and focal point of heaven will be the worship of God by his people. Heaven, yes, will, will not just be a case of, 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 as some people have the misguided notion, floating around or just strumming a harp mindlessly, those silly notions that people have of heaven. Heaven will come to earth. Heaven will be work. Heaven will be family. Heaven will be food and nourishment and the joy of exploring this world made perfect and fresh and new. But heaven will also be worship. It will be perfect, unending, joyful. worship. That's the destiny of every Christian friend. Is it your destiny? Is it something that you're committed to? Is it something you're excited for? Does the thought of being able to worship God free of pain, free of temptation, free of niggling sin, holding us back from worshiping Him properly? Does that fill you with excitement? Weeping may tie for the night. We may be weeping many days in this life, but joy comes in the morning, an eternity of freedom from those pains and sorrows, an eternity to praise our God. So Psalm thirty weaves together problems and praise. It's not that we should be expecting that we'll just wait for our problems to be solved before we give our worship to God. We praise him, we pray to him in the midst of life's problems. The late Tim Keller, commenting on this psalm, he said, God sometimes shakes our confidence in our earthly life so that we yearn for our heavenly life, where our joy is truly unshakable and when our wailing will be turned into dancing. What he's saying is if our problems make us look forward to heaven more, Well, there's at least one reason to be thankful for our problems. Friends, this world is passing away. Our prosperity will pass away. And our problems will pass away. And our problems should only serve to remind us that there is much better still to come. For those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. He, our great King Like David, had enemies who wanted to destroy him. But in the end, they didn't get to rejoice over him. Jesus, like David, experienced the the anger of God. The face of God turned away, not for Jesus' own sin, because he had none, but for the sins of his people as he took them on the cross. Jesus knew what it was to endure darkness. We thought about a little bit more uh, at one of our meetings a couple of weeks ago. The darkness of God's judgment upon the sins of the world that came upon him on the cross. Jesus experienced what must have felt at times like an endless night as he hung on the cross. But after that long dark Friday came the sunlight of resurrection Sunday morning, the Lord's day of triumph. And on that day when Jesus rose friends he fulfilled the words of this psalm You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. I will give thanks to you forever. And there will come a day, friends, when that will be our experience as it was for our Savior. We will enter into resurrection life. Our problems will be over. And our praise will continue. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Amen.